Good morning, good morning. If you're a student, you are dismissed. Thank you, Christopher. Thank you, ladies. So happy to have y'all here. Um, welcome to Christ Community Church. I greet you in the name of my Savior, and I'm happy to be here, and I'm happy that you're here with me. Uh, pray with me, please. Mm-hmm. Father God, would you please reveal yourself to us today? Would you open our blind eyes, unstop our deaf ears, soften our hard hearts, remove all the distractions, and... uh, Let us just be open and honest and exposed before your presence, your throne. Um, Please speak to us and work in our lives exactly at our point of greatest need. Touch us, God. And uh, let us know that it was you that we were in the presence of today. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, win, lose, or draw, we're going to finish this three-part uh, study. I didn't realize when I, when I was working on it that it was going to be uh, three weeks. But uh, w- those of you that are visiting with us today, I've been, uh, Shirley and I uh, have been working on a little three-week journey, um, just studying not just, that we sh- not just the importance of reading your Bible on a regular, daily basis. That's important. We should do it. That's true. But why is it important? And how should we approach it? That's really more what I wanted us to think about these few weeks is just when we open up the Bible, um, uh, whenever you do that, uh, how should we approach it? And uh, what should be on our minds and our hearts uh, as we open up the Word of God? And so that's what I wanted us to, to sort of finish up with today. I was, I was thinking early this morning... Uh, too early, but nonetheless, just about how, you know, I quoted this verse to you out of where God speaks through the prophet Jeremiah and he says that you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all of your heart. You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all of your heart. And it's that searching deal when we search with all of our heart. And and I was thinking about the New Testament counterpart to that, which in my mind is that uh, parable Jesus tells, and I think it's Matthew 13, where he he talks about this man 
who is walking by this field and he sees sort of sticking up out of the dirt this buried treasure. And he stops and he looks at it and he goes, dead gummit, that's, that's, a, that's an amazing deal. And he goes over there and he roots around and digs around and the more he digs, the more amazed he is and the more valuable he realizes this treasure is. And at some point he's, he realizes, I've got to have that. Whatever it takes, whatever it means, I've got, I'm, I'm not going to live another day without that treasure. And so it, the, Jesus says that that man went away and spent every dime he had to buy the field and possess the treasure. He was seeking that treasure with all of his heart, all of his pocketbook, all of his extra minutes in the morning when he could be sleeping. Um, yeah. So, I was just thinking about that this morning, about the treasure. In fact, um, uh, Proverbs says that the Word of God is a treasure. Um, in fact, it says that there's two things that are treasures in the Bible. I find it very uh, significant. The Bible says that he who finds a wife some of your translations say finds a good thing. That's not what it says. It says, he who finds a wife finds a treasure. And it says that the Word of God is a treasure. For me, that sums up a lot of life right there. Anyway, so I'm mumbling. Let me move on. Um, the last couple of weeks, I've just talked about the fact that uh, people throughout Scripture and people throughout the last 3,600 years of the history of God's people have consistently testified that while we can experience God in a multitude of ways, we can... Well, I'll just look. we can experience God in a multitude of ways. The testimony of the people of God for the last 3,600 years, the testimony of those that have followed Jehovah, Yahweh, has been the declaration that while we can find God, experience God, see God in many ways, where we see Him most clearly, most powerfully, is in, in this book. And I was thinking about, um, for most of you this will mean nothing, uh, but in the mid-20th uh, the, the 20th century, the, if not the most significant theologian uh, in the world, if he wasn't the most significant, he was one of the top three. Some people would argue 
number one or within the three, but a guy named Karl Barth. And he was a Swiss theologian. And if you have any kind of a spiritual library in your home, you've got his books. And he was sought after all over the world to come and speak. And in 1962, I believe it was, he was asked to come to the University of Chicago and give a series of lectures on his understanding of the theology of the Bible. And at the end of the series, a student, there was a Q&A deal, and a, guy, a student raised his hand and said, uh, Dr. Bart, what is the most significant theological truth that you've ever discovered? And he thought for a second, this is one of the, one of the top one, two, three most brilliant minds of the 20th century. And he thought for a minute and he said, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. And what struck me when I read that a million years ago was number one, his confidence that he is loved by the Son of God. Jesus loves me, this I know. Not hope or wish, but Jesus loves me, this I know. Well, how do you know that, Dr. Bart? For the Bible tells me so. Not from seeing a sunset or taking a hike up in the mountains or overlooking the ocean or holding a newborn baby. God can speak to us through all of those. But the reason he knows or knew that Jesus loved him was because of his confidence in the Word of God. So, that was his testimony. And that's my testimony that Jesus loves me, this I know. How do you know that, Larry? In a world of pain and failure and evil and confusion... How do you know Jesus loves you? Well, the Bible has told me so. Um, I've acknowledged to you that the Bible is not a book to be studied by the faint of heart. It's not a children's book. It is a hard, deep uh, book. Uh, and it, it takes, it demands great determination and faithfulness. Um, uh, and pursuit, just sheer, unadulterated pursuit. I'm going to learn it because it possesses the words of life. Um, there's many challenges to reading the Bible, and we talked about all that. So I'm going to, just for the time we've got, I want to I wanna talk to you real quickly about these. I think I've done the first four. Just how do we, how should we, or how can, I'm not even saying we should. This, these are eight things that are important to me as I approach the Bible. They might not mean that much to you, but as I, over the last 42 years, have approached the Bible early in the morning, these eight things have really helped me. And I, we talked about the fact that, and to me it's one of the two most important reasons or ways of approaching the Bible, and that is, do I recognize that the Bible was not written... To make me good. 
It is not a book to help me behave better. It's not a more it's not a book that was designed or written by God so that I will be more moral. The Bible says repeatedly that it was written to reveal God to us so that we can understand who he is his joys, his sorrows, his passions, his character, his his uh, his qualities like being all powerful and all wise and a God of grace. The Bible was written so that we could understand who God is, how he feels about us, his desire for a relationship with us, and what he did to make that possible. And if I don't see that, if I don't get that, that I get up in the morning, I got up this morning and I, 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 I sat down on my back porch with a cup of coffee and I opened the Bible with the intent to experience God, for God to reveal Himself to me. It, I believe that every word of the Bible is true. Every, every word is true. And I, it is authoritative and accurate when it, when it speaks about history and biology and relationships and finance and on and on and on and on. But it wasn't written for those reasons. It was written so that you and I could, could understand who God is and get to know Him. And as Paul says, and be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you will be able to understand, test, and approve what God's plan and purposes and will is for your life. It is a love letter. From Genesis to Revelation, it is a love letter that dad, my dad wrote to me as his child and that my husband wrote to me as his bride, if I will approach it in that way. Uh, and the reason so often we, we get so frustrated with the Bible, and we do, if, you're a, if you've read it at all, it can be frustrating at times. But it's frustrating when we approach the Bible for purposes that it was not designed for. Second reason I mentioned was that it is, it's a book to be meditated upon. Uh, Psalm 37 says, delight yourself in the Lord. And that word delight means to ponder God's qualities, His, His attributes. But we're, we're supposed to ponder them and chew on them. The Bible was not written to be some book that you run to, read a few verses and then run off, or that you go to just to look up facts. It's, a, it's, it's too dense. It's too multi-layered. It, it, is, it reflects the mind of God. Therefore, for us to approach it hurriedly or with got music going on and the TV going on and I'm checking the stock market, trying to help my kid with, with his homework, trying to make my husband feel like he's important to me. And by, oh, and I'm reading the Bible by the or zooming down the highway, listening to the Bible while I'm swerving in and out of traffic, making everybody mad, and I'm mad at them. 
Reading the Bible any way you can is better than nothing. But it wasn't designed to be read like that. It was designed to be approached quietly, humbly, respectfully. That's why David says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Eat it and chew on it and think about it and ponder it and pray over it and then go back. The Bible was not written to be something that yells at us, grabs us by the nap of the neck and bosses us around and gives us our marching orders for today. That is the Bible is not my general. It's not my commander-in-chief. It's not my president. It's not my boss. It's, it's not the, It is the place where I go to ponder the wonders of the creator of the universe. And it's to be read slowly and quietly. It's a book to be read asking lots of questions. Who's speaking? What preceded this? What follows this? Where is this in the Bible? Where is it located in the Bible? Are there things that I've read before that are connected with this? That I need to start connecting the dots? Are there patterns, similar pictures and ideas? We talked last week about the fact that while everything in the Bible is equally true, everything in the Bible is not equally important. Bless you. Let me say it again. Very important. It's very important to me that I remember that while everything in the Bible is equally true, at least I believe that with all of my heart. And 42 years later, I'm more convinced than I ever was. But it's not all equally important. Therefore, let's find out what is most important in the scriptures? Well, how do you know what's repeated the most? What's emphasized the most? What is revealed most? It's clearly the most important things and focus on them. It's amazing how if we focus on what's most important, the parts of the Bible that we get offended by, confused with, if we will not set them aside but just set them in a category that's not as important as this. It's amazing how when I focus on what's most important, the things that are not as important, they become more clear, more understandable. I start seeing why they're there and what they're about. There is a difference in the Sermon on the Mount and the the, 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 the clothing of the high priest. Those are not equally important. And the Bible numerous times indicates that there are certain things that are most important, more important. Now, having said that, I'm convinced with all my heart, I have to read all the Bible. Not just the parts I like, not just the parts that I'm comfortable with, not just the parts that emphasize what I value most. So I need to focus with special emphasis on what's clearly most important, but at the same time, I will not understand like I should those things that are most important if I'm not reading the entire Bible. I've said enough. Let me go on. Um... I need to approach the Bible, and I do, 
with the confidence that the Holy Spirit is there with me, in me and with me, and He is committed to helping me understand that which I need to know for today. That, that which I need to know for today, the Holy Spirit, will, He's committed to revealing to me what's most important for this time in my life. John 14 says the Holy Spirit will teach you all things. John 16 says the Holy Spirit will guide you into all truth. And Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3, as we ponder God's glory, His Spirit will transform us into the image of God's Son. I believe that. I believe that He is doing that in my life as I expose myself to the Word of God. All right, quickly. Let me, let me cover the last four. I mentioned I went on a walk with my daughter yesterday and I was telling her, she asked me, what are you preaching on? And I told her, and I said, yeah, I'm talking about the things that will help us understand and get the most out of the Bible as we approach the Bible. And before I could even tell her the eight things, first thing out of her mouth, we need to study the Bible in community. And I said, dead gummit, Randy Ray. I said, that's, that's one of my eight. It wasn't my first. It was her first. The Bible, not every book in the Bible, some of the Bible were letters written at a moment Paul, in particular, among others, he wrote them as letters and mailed them or sent them with people. Okay, But the, that, those are the exceptions to the rules. Overwhelmingly, 90%, 95% of all the books in the Bible, they were handed down as oral traditions before they were ever written down. And they were discussed together in spiritual community, both Old Testament and New Testament. The Bible was written to be discussed. It was written to be wrestled with among brothers and sisters. I will never understand the Word of God alone. Let me say it again, because some of you balk at this. You will never understand the Word of God alone. Any more than for me to sit down with Shakespeare and start reading that, I can get things. But what a difference when I sit down with my wife and read Shakespeare. What a difference when, when I have tried to read some of the writings of Tolstoy or Dostoevsky. Reading it on my own versus reading it with others. And you, you know this to be fundamentally true. The Bible was written to be studied and wrestled with in community. Applied, interpreted, followed. It, we, God wrote it in such a way that it was designed to be done. In community. Let me read to you a verse here. Mm, yeah. Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you have learned it, and how from childhood 
you have been acquainted with the sacred scriptures which are able to instruct you for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. And then he goes on to say that all scripture is inspired by God and profitable for doctrine or proof, for correction and instruction in righteousness. But do you hear Paul telling Timothy, Timothy, you know the people that you've studied the Bible with. You know their lives. You know the people that have taught you. One of the reasons that I, 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 I challenge people uh, that we ought to study the Bible in community and we ought to interpret it in community and apply it and follow it in community and I will see it in people's eyes. They'll go, I don't agree with that. I don't want, I'm not comfortable with strangers helping me understand how to follow the Bible. I, nothing more wise could be said. But it begs the question, why are the people in your life that are also following God, seeking to know God's Word, seeking to serve and emulate God, why are they strangers? The problem's not that I, I don't have anybody. The problem is, God has provided people to help us understand and apply and interpret and follow the Scriptures, but they're still strangers. We don't know them, and they don't know us. God created His Word to be studied in community. I, was, I just thought about that in uh, uh, Matthew 9, I think it is, where those four dudes carry that, uh, that lame man to, to Jesus. I love that story. It's one of my favorites. They get to the house and you know they couldn't get in. They have to drop him through the roof uh, to, to get him to Jesus. But what's, what's so important about that story is that it doesn't say that Jesus saw the faith of that man and made him well. It says that Jesus saw the, their faith, the faith of those four men. I cannot approach the Bible wisely or well on my own. I don't have enough faith. And I beg, I would appeal to you that maybe you don't either. I need to borrow your faith to understand and, apl and apply and follow the Word of God. And you need my faith. We should do it as a community. That's why Paul says in Hebrews 11, only with us will they be made perfect. I love that. You won't be perfect on your own. Only with us will you be made perfect. Paul says in Ephesians 3, I pray that you will have power together with all of God's holy people to understand the love of Christ. That's why Isaiah says, Come now, let us reason together. Study and ponder and wrestle with the Word of God together. Before I move on, I've, this summer, my grandson and I undertook a, a real deal. I mean, a challenge. We were going to read, and we did. We read Pilgrim's Progress. 
volume one and volume two. Y'all should be impressed. That was a big deal for me and Teddy. And if you've ever read Pilgrim's Progress, you understand Pilgrim's Progress 1 is about a dude named Christian and his journey from meeting his Savior by faith to when he met his Savior by sight. And it was a journey and it was not a it was a pain-filled journey with times of great disaster. Volume 2 is same journey, but with a little girl named Christiana. From the time she met her Savior by faith to when she met her Savior face to face. What is significant is that if you read those two volumes, the journey of Christiana was noticeably less painful less problem-filled, less failure-filled. Do you know why? Christian, Christian made the journey alone. Christiana made it with friends. She traveled in a group. And the group made the journey very, very different. I think we ought to approach the Word of God. I didn't know how to word this, so I just said, in faith and humility. And let me translate that and make it real simple for you. When I say that we ought to approach the Word of God in faith and humility, what I really mean is, the Bible was written for us to approach it with faith that what God is telling us is true, and humility, meaning I'll obey it before I really understand it. I'm, I'm going to do what the Bible says before I really understand it. Before I see the benefits, I'll still do what it says first. I sh I'm going to practice it. And I'm going to apply it before I grasp it or am benefited by it. That is such an important principle. And I can tell you, that's, that's the most distasteful for me. Uh, many, 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 many mornings. God has spoken to me from His Word. The Holy Spirit has spoken to me through His Word. I knew it was God speaking. I knew it was God speaking because He was telling me something that I would have never thought up on my own, never would have wanted to do. It wasn't like the Lord, thus saith the Lord, go eat an ice cream cone. That, no, no. Thus saith the Lord, go into the bedroom where your wife's putting on her makeup and tell her you're wrong for the way you spoke to her last night. Hmm. Well, couldn't I sing a praise song or send some money to a missionary or, or uh, you know, uh, do something other than that? Send that text, write that letter, go make that visit, go ask for forgiveness. Crap. 
But it is amazing how when I have just gone on, I don't understand. They're, they're more in the wrong than I am. Why should I have to apologize? Or maybe they'll misunderstand my motive for what I'm doing. It could be. But the Bible was written in such a way that God says, you do what I'm telling. Do, do you know it's me speaking? Yes. Then you go on and do it and see what happens. Rather, the way I want to do it is, I want to see what's going to happen. Then, I, then I'll decide whether or not I should do it or not. Dr. Rogers at Bellevue Church used to say, if I'll just follow the parts of the Bible I do understand, I'll start understanding the parts that I've never understood. And I found that to be true. James says, As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. Peter says, Do all you can to conform your calling and election, for if you do these things, you won't stumble. We, we associate faith in Western society with knowledge. I believe something with my mind, so I have faith in that. That is, that is as foreign to biblical understanding. No one in Bible times would have seen that. I show what I actually believe by how I curtail or adjust my behavior. Paul said in Hebrews 5, solid food is for the mature who continually use what they have learned to be trained in distinguishing good and evil. I will distinguish good and evil as I use what I've learned. Jesus said it simply in John 13, if you know these things, you'll be happy and blessed if you do them. The last two. Especially for those of you in this room that have not read the Bible very much. You're, you're new at this. Maybe you've tried a hundred times and you start in Genesis and you get to Exodus 20. That's about where you stop. You get to the Ten Commandments, you're good. And then all of a sudden it's like, wham! I would beg you, and I've not changed in 42 years. Read what you will in the Bible. It's all true and it's all good. But read something from the Gospels every day. Read something about the life of Jesus every day. Start with Jesus in the Gospels. Don't start with Genesis. Don't start with Romans. Don't start with Revelation. Don't start with Psalms. Read the life of Jesus and as I grasp and experience who this person is and the uniqueness of his wisdom, his power, his compassion, his courage, his faith in his Father, his, his, his love for people, his ability to forgive people, his, his, his meekness and humility, as I grasp 
that there is no one that has ever lived like this person. And I begin to not only know him, but trust him as I do that. A lot of these things that I wrestle with, as far as all the wars and the violence and the sex and the, the things that they, the Bible says about all kind of things. As I, especially the miracles. Those are, some of you struggle with the miracles in the Bible. I, I understand that. But, but as I have gotten to know Jesus, really get to know Him, the miracles in the Bible are like, they're, they, they're, they're no longer these hurdles that I've got to somehow overcome. Paul says in Colossians 1, the Son is the image of the invisible God. And Jesus says, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. The Bible was written to reveal God to us. I've already said that. Well, Jesus said that He came to reveal the Father to us. And so I just would appeal to you, whatever you do, if you're going to read the Word of God, read something in the Gospels about the life of the Son of God. First, primarily, do that beyond all. And then lastly, um, it'll change your life when you begin to read the Bible every day with the understanding that there is one theme, overarching theme that runs from Genesis all the way to Revelation and connects all the books of the Bible. And once you see that and you begin to identify the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds, I'm not exaggerating, of examples of this over our, yes, there are thousands of subplots, sub-themes. I'm not denying that. But the message of the Bible is, it's not that complicated. God created us to be in relationship with Him. He loves us more than anything. And we told Him, no thanks. I'd like to be in charge of my life. You don't, get the, you don't get that privilege. And through that decision with Adam and Eve and through the same decision that I've made, I make it every day. It has placed me in a, a terrible situation, a dangerous situation, a desperate situation, an ultimate destructive situation. Didn't change how God felt about me. Didn't change God's plans for me. Didn't change God's commitment to me. But it did create a wall between me and God. And what God committed to do was to, to tear down that wall, repair that damage, bridge that gulf, make that relationship, put that relationship back right. And He did that through His own personal sacrifice and suffering. I could not repair that. 
There's nothing. Not only could I not do it, I don't want to do it. I don't want him to be the boss of my life. I don't want anybody to be the boss of my life but me. And I, God says, okay. You're not going to like the end result of that. That is a bad plan, Larry. But you can do that if you want. But God has provided a solution for that selfishness and rebellion and pride and fear and anger and arrogance and independence. And you see that story, you see that image, you see that metaphor, you, you see that running through the, Adam and Eve. First time it happens, what does God do? He takes the innocent and that innocent one sacrifices its life so that the relationship between God and those He delights in could be repaired. The one sacrifices itself so that the many could be restored in relationship to God. You see it with Noah and the ark. You see it with Abraham when God offers Abraham this covenant relationship with him. And Abraham says, I'm in, God. Are you, Abraham? I am. God, I'll, I'm in. I'm a, man, I'm going to be a person of faith. No, you, no, you're not. So God creates this, this beautiful picture of, of uh, this, this covenant ceremony where you walk through these animals, these, 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 the, the death of the innocent, so that this relationship could be restored. And then what does Abraham do? When it's his time to walk through the, the, in the ceremony, he falls asleep. He falls asleep. And God walks through there alone because we can't restore that which we have ruined. There's one, the, the, there's one theme that runs through the Bible. Abraham and Isaac, God provides the lamb. When Isaac's life was on the line, Joseph was sent by God to be the sacrifice for the salvation of his family. The Passover lamb for Israel. The, the, the whole tabernacle and priesthood system we, you, we see the, the sacrifice of these animals millions of them so that the relationship between God's people and God himself could be restored and I could go on Boaz with Ruth David and Goliath David is the represent God doesn't ask the soldiers of Israel to become David's he sends David to be their representative and to defeat their enemy. Hosea and Gomer, I could go on, I could go on with hundreds of examples. Do you this theme that there is a problem and God has provided the answer through sacrifice and suffering, ultimately of his own son so that we could have that relationship restored. If you doubt me, and I'm sure some of you are going, yeah, I don't know if that connects all the Bible. Well, I'm glad you said that. That'll, that's a good way to 
You know, you can apologize later. Let's see what Jesus says. We'll end on this. Let's see what Jesus says. I'm not telling you what I think or what I believe or what I've been taught in some school. I'm just telling you what the Lord Jesus believed and what drove his life and determined his worldview. Listen to what Jesus says at the end of his life. He's speaking to these two people that were on the road to Emmaus right after Jesus had died. And they thought he was still dead. But he'd risen from the grave. And this is what Jesus says. And it says, And Jesus said to them, O foolish people, and slow to heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter and enter into his glory. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Jesus interpreted to these two people in all the scriptures the things that it said about himself. Do you see? Jesus approached the Old Testament as a series of books that were written about himself. And then let's jump on down to verses 44 and 45 and we'll end. Then Jesus said to them, These are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the, written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the Scriptures. Jesus saw the Old Testament as a book that was written about him. Do we see that? It's, well, it's got a bunch of laws and wars and rules. and No, Jesus saw the Old Testament Scriptures as a book that was written about him. Oh, that we would approach all of the Bible early in the morning before we begin our day. Bless you. Looking for the face, for the life, for the voice, for the ways of Jesus. And as we begin to do that, when we seek Him, we will find Him when we search for Him with all of our heart. My desire today is not to make anybody feel guilty or beat up or crummy because, well, I hadn't read the Bible very much. Uh, I'm just, I just wanted to testify to you and to remind myself that the Bible is a book worthy of our study and that it will fill us with great blessings and ultimately it will reveal to us the blessing of the love of God and how much He loves us and what He did so that we could experience that love. And I challenge us all to consider approaching it differently and approaching it more faithfully with the faith, with the belief that the Holy Spirit will help us and speak to us and use it for our good. I really believe He will if you'll give it a chance. I mean it with all my heart.
We're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper as we close our service today. Um, And you know, at the end of the day, the Lord's Supper is nothing more than our declaration, our public declaration that God provided the solution for my sin problem. God provided the bridge that I could not provide. God healed the wound, the offense that I created that I can't heal. And He did it through the life and the blood and the, 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 the giving of the body of the Son of God. And so we eat this to just declare that we have found peace with God through the suffering and sacrifice of God's Son. And if that is your testimony, that is your belief, that is your hope, then I invite you to come and eat and drink and to remember and give thanks. Before you run up here, won't you take just a moment and consider your relationship with God's Word? How do you see and approach God's Word? Do you approach God's Word? How might God want you to see it and approach it differently? And when you have done that, you come and you eat and you drink. Remember and give thanks.